Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's of kid treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone. This is Amy and TJ, and this is actually a very special anniversary. I know that, how many years have you been in the business covering events and Uh, such? uh, 25. 25 years. Uh, 27 plus for me. Can you recall, TJ, ever covering a plane crash where anyone survived? Um, That is... I can only remember one. I'm trying to think of another. Um, and that's tough right now. I can't come up with it. Right. You're looking for a survivor, if anyone yes. survived. But I think we all can remember 15 years ago, that's the crazy part, where there was a plane crash. And you didn't just have some survivors or a survivor, but you had 155 survivors. Everyone on board, passengers and crew, survived. Of course, we are talking about the Miracle on the Hudson. And I covered it. Uh, I was with another network uh, just from the desk as an anchor. You were actually on the ground. You were at CNN when this all went, went I down? I was, yeah. But see, so I was in Atlanta with CNN, which was where most of the shows were coming out of at that time. And it was an easy flight over to Charlotte because Charlotte is where that plane was headed. And so many folks on that plane were trying to get home so um they did make it on that flight at least <laughs> a lot of them caught the next one and i was there to receive them uh at the airport in charlotte when uh but yeah those survivors it's crazy to think you were just in a plane crash and then you ran and got on another plane some of them did a some lot. of them not everyone did <laughs> I, I don't know that i would would you have done that would you have jumped on a plane right after you know what i think Oof. so because what are the chances? Right. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to be involved in two plane crashes. Lightning doesn't strike twice. Back to back day. There's no way. <laughs> and plus, I know how you are. I am sure you would have gotten on a plane. I am sure because you I got to get home. The schedule, you got to plan it. I am sure you would have gotten on a plane. Well, it is and it continues to be an unthinkable miracle, actually. Of course, Captain Sully Sullenberg safely landing U.S. Airways 1549 in the icy 
Hudson River. I think it was like 20 something degrees outside that day. A flock of geese, in case you don't remember, took out his engines and forced a crash landing. And incredibly, Sully, as he is affectionately referred, landed that plane on the Hudson and everyone made it out okay. And it is a story that we don't want to forget because there aren't many stories like this that have this kind of ending. And it's not even just about the miracle of the landing. But I think what's really remarkable about this story is that 15 years later, it's not the crash. It's what happened after the crash to so many of these survivors. When you go through something that is truly a near-death experience, you don't live the same way that you did before. And I spoke to one of the survivors way back. And I'll never forget this woman. She said to me, everyone at some point in their life has their plane crash. It's what you do with your life afterwards that counts. And so we have two of the survivors from that incredible miracle, Flight 1549, with us today on this podcast, 15 years later to the date, to not only talk about what they went through, but how this impacted and changed their lives forever, how they live differently. So we want to welcome Jim Whitaker and Valley Collins to the podcast to honor what they went through and to talk about where they are now, because it is such an incredible journey to get to this day. So welcome. Thank you for being here, Jim and Valley. Hi, thanks for having us. Hey, folks, thanks for the invitation. Uh, well, Jim, I'll, I'll ask you, we were just kind of joking here about uh, whether or not we would have gotten on a plane uh, <laughs> right after that. Is this right? You've, I think you've told this story over the years. Not only did you get on a plane pretty soon, you were literally on the phone trying to book another flight very, very soon. Uh, maybe even while the plane was still sitting there <laughs> on the Hudson and you hadn't even gotten to dry land yet. I have flown a few flights, and I mistakenly thought U.S. Airways would be ready for a crash and to rebook survivors, but I was wrong. (laughs) Every single day. So, yeah, when I first called U.S. Airways, at the time U.S. Airways, it was very funny because I did call and say, hey, I'm a crash survivor. I'd like to get on another airplane. And they, like, didn't get it. They thought it was a sicker joke than normal because it literally, by the time I called, had not even made it to the wire yet inside of the carrier, which was beyond bizarre. And then by the time we even got to the airport later that night, those folks at the counter still didn't know there had been an airplane crash. And all I had for an ID was a library card. And we <laughs> wanted to get on an airplane and go home. But, but Jim, I'm, I'm still struggling with your, of your mindset. You just went through something that traumatic and you don't even have time to process it before you are literally trying to get back on another plane. Well, I was defective before. (laughs) I was only a little bit more defective after this. That's incredible. And, you know, Jim, I don't know that you know this, but I believe you and TJ might have met 15 years ago. That was, uh, and I might have interviewed you because I was there at the uh, Charlotte airport waiting on that plane to land. And it, it was, we were all waiting. So many reporters and photographers were there. Like, we don't know which ones are going to be the survivors. Like, what does a plane crash survivor look like? We're like, oh, okay, which ones are going to be? It was not easy to identify, hard to identify you guys because you were wearing Red Cross blankets as like a badge of honor when you got out. And also, 
most of y'all were half drunk. They were giving y'all free drinks <laughs> on the flight on the way, which they should have. But you all got off. You're the happiest plane crash survivors I'd ever seen. Well, I, I think it was the uh, Red Cross blanket that did it, TJ. That may be a matter of opinion. It was, <laughs> but it was the free swag from having been a crash survivor. Getting a Red Cross blanket is some kind of a gold star for surviving. <laughs> and Jim, you said your clothing was still wet when you got off that plane. Yeah, I was being silly, but it's true. And Valley would know the same story. But by the time the plane stopped moving in the river, the inside was taking on water very quickly. So having survived an airplane crash, the next scare was, I really don't want to drown floating down the river in the middle of the winter. So, yeah, we were all plenty wet on the inside before we got off of the airplane and were rescued to the shoreline. But then something about walking around the rest of the day in wet clothes is just really not a cool feeling. So I was ready to go home. I, I can only imagine. And, and Valley, I, I was actually able to speak to both of you a couple of years ago, which was it's pretty awesome to be able to come back five years later and see how you're doing. But I, I remember I asked you what your seat number was. 26D. You'll never forget that. Never as long as I live. Mm-hmm. no. Actually, my seat was 26D was my assigned seat. But after the birds hit, I got up in the aisle because the flight attendant was trying to get something behind my my seat. And the empty seat next to me was 26E because we had one baby on board. So we had an empty seat. So the flight attendant told me to sit in that middle seat. So I started in 26D, but I landed in 26E. Oh, wow. I still claim 26D. (laughs) Landed. Landed. Is that landing <laughs> on the Hudson, uh, not just your regular yeah. runway? I want to ask you both, and Valley, I'll start with you. What is it like to hear the phrase coming from the captain of the plane, brace for impact? What's the first thing you think? What's the first thing you do? Well, the first thing I thought, my my the, the gentleman at the window, he had been looking out and he told me we were going into the river. So I you know, he said, be ready. We're going in the water. So like right about the time that Sullenberger said brace for impact. So I'm just thinking airplane water landing. This plane's going to cartwheel, going to bust into a lot of pieces. So Valley, if you're conscious, just swim to the light. That's just what I told myself. I'm a person that always wants to have a plan. And that was my plan that if I was awake and conscious, just pull the seat, you know, unbuckle the seatbelt and start swimming towards the light. Now, before the brace for impact comment or, you know, um, PA announcement from Sullenberger, I I was pretty aware we were in a dire situation. My seatmate had told me there was birds. I could smell the smoke. We didn't have any other thrust. So, you know, in those moments, my thoughts were more just about raising my children, not getting to see them hit all those milestones. I literally I sent my husband a text message that said my flight is crashing Um because I didn't want him to wonder for an hour or a day or a week, you know, to get confirmation. Because this was back, this is 15 years ago. We didn't have Google calendars. We didn't keep up with what airline, what flight number, you know, we just weren't, we traveled all the time. So I thought he doesn't even know I'm on board the plane. So those were, that's kind of what I got done in the three and a half minutes from when the birds hit to when they did. Three and a half minutes. Jim, what did you do? Well, Valley's description was a good one. There was already plenty of pandemonium going on because remember from from wheels up to impact with the birds was only 90 seconds but everything was at full thrust typical day in the aviation business right 
So from the moment of the bird impact, pandemonium was quick to start, of course. And then the command to brace for impact only made everything exponentially worse on the inside of the airplane. And, you know, there's probably there's probably not a set of words that does justice to the things that Val, Valley was talking about and what we both experienced because that's just that's just one of those worst moments where you just wouldn't be able to describe another human where people are so between total silence to praying out loud to screaming and crying to cursing in anger. It was the fullest, broadest range of emotions you could possibly imagine ever hearing at one time. So it was a, it was as raw a moment as I've, of course, ever experienced in life. But you, you talk about a, uh, the range of emotion and a range of thoughts. Valley was just mentioning, she talked about her kids, uh, wanting to be there for her kids and raise her kids. But Jim, what, in that right, 90 seconds, the impact happens with the birds and then another essentially 90 seconds and you're um, in the river. What though, at what point in those three minutes did it switch from, oh my God, I'm going to die to, oh wow, I'm going to survive this thing. Well, um, everyone has their own experience and everyone has their own faith tradition. So the, the thought of dying wasn't really that so-called scary to me, but I was way preoccupied because I was the dummy that got a standby seat. So I was sitting next to the woman with the baby. So nice. I was really, really preoccupied by a nine-month-old that nice. was practically as big as her as his mother <laughs> crawling everywhere so the the for me that whole experience was really really small in the fact that it was between two humans that had never met one another before and a mother that was separated from her husband and another child on board and clearly terrified and not knowing what to do with this rambunctious baby so me like a fool being a father of five said hey let me hold your baby Oh, and wow. she was incredibly, incredibly courageous, as I'm sure you all have heard the story before, is she actually surrendered and gave up her child to someone else that she thought maybe because he was a nut was going to somehow be able to protect this child as we were going in the river. Wow, that is incredible. I, I'm curious, Valley. What actually goes through your mind? Did you believe you were going to die? And do you see your life? flash before you do things seem like they happened in slow motion what were those three and a half minutes like well to echo what jim said i don't think i was so scared of dying i've always been a person of faith so i remember thinking well god this is your will i accept it i'm not crazy about it but i accept it and i do at that point I was 37 years old that day, and three of my four grandparents were still alive. So the one grandparent that had passed, I just thought, well, he's going to be there waiting on me. So I wasn't so scared of dying. I was just more selfishly. I mean, it's it's FOMO at the max, okay? I was so sad about all the things I was going to miss out on in my family's life. That's what really made me so sad. You know, I'm not a perfect mother. But I am their mother, and my children were four, six, and nine on that day. So I knew it's going to totally impact their life significantly for the rest of their lives. Not, not that I didn't think Steve would do a great job finishing raising them, but I was just 
I was just wrecked about all those big moments, all those big milestone moments I was going to miss. No, Valley, tell me, past 15 years, what have been the milestone moments? What have been the oh, moments mm -hmm. that, oh my God, I cannot imagine I would have missed this? Oh gosh, I'm going to get teaching them all three to drive a car, drive a stick shift. In our <laughs> house, your first car is a stick shift because you can't text and drive a stick shift. <laughs> you know, none of your friends can drive your car. Uh, uh, insurance is cheaper. So, I mean, you know, those were moments of laughter and tears. <laughs> um, so, you know, teaching them to use a little grip to drive a stick shift. Uh, going to kindergarten, my youngest. I mean, his first day of school, the first day of high school, the proms, the... The graduations, I mean, one's one's out of college, one's going to graduate from college mm -hmm. this this May, and my baby just went to college, mm -hmm. you know, being able mm -hmm. to take them to, I mean, you you name it, dance recitals, baseball games, you, I, I, the, the list is long. And I think because of being a part of this experience, I have, all those milestones are all more sweet to know uh -huh. that I am here to see them. Where are they? Where are they? In, where are they in college? Are they Tennessee volunteers too? Well, one is a Tennessee volunteer. Okay. One is a graduate of Wake Forest okay. in North Carolina. Um, the senior this year, he is a he's all ball, and my baby is a Baylor Bear. He what? goes to school in Waco, Texas. He's oh. uh, sick of bears, so they've got <laughs> three different you know three different paths, and I wouldn't want it any other way. Oh. I wish you could have seen Jim while you were talking. He was clapping, he was cheering, he even had fireworks behind him at one point. He was oh, just wow. echoing everything you were saying. We're going to hear more about what this experience has done to change your life, how you've lived differently. We're going to hear all about that when we come back. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. 
I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. All right, back here now, Jim Whitaker of Valley College, two of the survivors um, of Flight 1549, the crash in the Hudson, the miracle on the Hudson, I guess is what we should all be referring to it as uh, these days. That's how we know it. But all 155 people on board that flight, of course, survived. Captain Sully, uh, it's been cool to hear Valley here. She keeps call, referring to him by his full name, yeah. Sullenberger. <laughs> uh, you have a different relationship well, than the rest of us do. We call him Sully. But that's cool to hear, Jim. Let, let me ask you what 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 was the pre uh, Miracle on the Hudson Jim Whitaker like, as opposed to the guy we are sitting here talking to now? Well, again, both versions are defective. However, <laughs> the one before, uh, and there's still now today, long time, lifelong road warrior, thousands of flights, thousands of nights in hotels traveled all over the country, all over the world. And so the, the whole uh, experience of traveling, that is, and takeoff and so forth and so on, that was as commonplace as driving to work. Mm. But the, the distinguishing characteristic that made this different, and I'd been on plane, uh, planes before where an engine had gone out or something had occurred, but never had I been on an airplane at takeoff that had gone from full thrust to being a glider. No noise, no engine, no nothing. And I just described that to say that, that, of course, for someone that had been on thousands and thousands of flights, that was an immediate, just an immediate clicks in the back of your brain like something's wrong. This is a big problem, obviously. So flash forward to now, since then, 15 years scary to say, but not only hundreds, but thousands more flights. I've continued doing the same thing, but to the points that Valley made earlier, that of all those life experiences that came thereafter, the graduations and the grandchildren and the events that were special, there is a there is a an awareness to realize that I would not be having this experience but for the hands of others and the grace of God. And that is a, uh, as we race through all of our lives, that's probably something I know I'm often easy to forget about. Hey, I should pay attention to me present in this moment because it's a gift that I'm here right now. Yeah. We and if I had thought that 20 years ago, of course not. But we need to remind folks, you weren't supposed to be on this plane. You, you were a standby passenger. Is that right? Well, again, back to the defectiveness, I've made a lot of foolish choices in life, but one of them was getting done early in Manhattan, running to the airport, again, being the road warrior, trying to get home early, life's going to be great, maybe I'll even catch dinner, uh, and that was a very interesting choice to <laughs> get on the standby list and get uh, the window seat next to the baby in the back. <laughs> 
Jim and I have some similarities in that. Um, it's interesting that you put us on here together because I flew, maybe not quite as much as Jim, but I flew a lot with my job as well, but I always flew Delta. So that's where I had all my, you know, platinum, first class, bump up, all my perks. But that's, this trip was like a last minute trip. So the U.S. Airways trip ticket was like $800 less. So I remember thinking, well, I'll save my company that money, forego my little frequent flyer perks, and I'll go U.S. Airways today. So that's why I ended. So I wasn't supposed to be on that flight either. Mm. Technically, wow. that's not normally. And that's how I ended up on the last row with the empty seat that was there because Jim had the baby in his row. So it's kind of interesting how, uh, you know, we, and I think both of us kind of have a faith base and, you're like, well, why was I there? What am I supposed to learn from that? What am I supposed to take away from that? Because there were passengers on our flight that took that flight every week. You know, that was just their way home to Charlotte every week. But um, not the case for me. Do you think you were supposed to be on that flight now, Valley? I know you said you're a woman of faith. And do you think that it was something that was fated to be? And you said you learned a lot. What was the biggest thing you learned? Well, First of all, I'm not smart enough to answer the question of, is it fate? Is I supposed to be there or not supposed <laughs> to be there? I have zero idea. I have a lot of learnings I took away. Probably the very, well, two things I'll say. After you sit in a moment where you really think you're going to die, and then all of a sudden you don't, there's a, there's a sense of life purpose and life responsibility. You just feel that onus even greater. To, okay, I'm I'm kind of in the bonus round of Jeopardy. You know, how do I how do I get this right and make the most of it? So that's um, that's one of the things. Probably the biggest learning I took away was just the power of perspective. That you know, no matter just not to sweat the small stuff. As cliche as it sounds, you know, every it's it's interesting. When when I was before takeoff, I was talking to the gentleman at the window and we had this empty seat in between us and they kept telling us it's this full flight. Well, you keep waiting for who's the person that's going to plop down in the empty seat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we backed away from the gate and there was still this empty seat. And we, I looked at him. I'm like, well, this must be our lucky day oh, well. because wow. here we've got all this elbow room to Charlotte. Well, you know, little did I know how lucky it was going to be in the next seven, eight minutes. So, um so I tell, so I think I'm just trying to, you know, every day's a lucky day. Even if it's not a great day, it's, I'm still just lucky. We're all lucky to be here. Well, you say you're not, you know, clearly you're smart enough to answer the question she just asked. <laughs> I get what you were trying to say, but you all help me. Everybody I'm sitting here with uh, robes with a breast cancer scare in her life to where uh, she thought she was going to die. And still, quite frankly, every six months, she's waiting on a report or going and you're still wondering about how much time you have left. Valley, Jim, both of you all. You all weren't supposed to be on the flight. You you got you got standby passenger here. Uh, you ended up flying. You're trying to save some money for your company, which I'd never recommend that. <laughs> but still, but for both of you all, all, maybe all three of you got to help me understand here. That's not just who chalks that up to just coincidence. We've always, and I've gotten more into it later in my life, about like the universe giving you signs or follow. There are signs out there. What do you make? Let me start with you, Jim, since clearly you're you're going to be smart enough to answer that. But <laughs> but how do you make sense of I'm not supposed to be here? She's not supposed to be here. Robach, even a lot of people would argue, maybe not supposed to be here. Her cancer was called early. But we all are sitting here now on this call, on this podcast together. Jim, how do you or do you even try to make sense of something like that? 
I'm going to help you, TJ. I'm not going to leave you hanging. Thank I'm going you. to help you. My, I would say to that, and, and, and trying to be serious, is my perspective has changed in that I can't explain it either, and probably nor can any of us about why did this happen or what if. That kind of is a, is a lost cause. But what we can say is, well, I am still here. And what more purposeful, meaningful impact can I have on the lives of those that are most close to me and depend upon me? And then the next concentric ring out from that and the next concentric ring out from that. So for me, at least, what I've, uh, I've tried to be a better tried. I fail a lot, however, but I've tried to be a better parent and spouse and brother and son to my parents. So that trying to be that better individual, but more importantly, I've also learned to Valley's good point is I've become much more, uh, maybe with age too, more influential as a mentor in other folks' lives that are going through challenging circumstances in their personal lives. Uh, I found a lot of reward and satisfaction in that in trying to help others navigate their circumstances, which seems maybe traumatic at the time. And I can always say, yeah, but you weren't on a plane crash. So <laughs> Correct. Just get a grip. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure his family and friends, like my family and friends, kind of get tired of me always putting a perspective on it. One of my dearest friends, when I shall call and she'll go, I said, okay, do you want my real opinion? Do you want real, or you just want me to, you just want me to uh, side with you right now? Or do you want me to give you the perspective? Of, and she's like, no, I just want you to side with me right now. Just <laughs> What's the biggest change that both of you made in your life once you survived and got back home? I'll start with you, Jim. Well, Mine's a, that's a bad start because I don't have a great story to tell you. I, I couldn't say to you, I wouldn't tell you some fabulous lie that says I was a new person the next day when I woke up. I wasn't. I was still the same defective me, sure, as I already tried to describe. But it wasn't um, a, a road to Damascus moment and I somehow woke up and I was some no, new human and had this different perspective perspective on life. I, I, I didn't. I was certainly more thankful and grateful, and I am today, and I am today, but I'm not some different human because I wasn't an inauthentic person before. I'm just more appreciative for the gift that I've been given now that I'm still here. We're obviously spending the time we are right now talking about something that happened back then, but I'm more grateful for the gifts that I've been given in my life um, and, and have been since then. Valley? Like Jim, I wasn't all of a sudden a different person. I was a pretty positive, friendly, tried to be kind person before this. In some ways, I was not as, um, I've always been very strong, very confident, kind of a type A leader type person, not very fearful. I would say I became a little more fearful and, you know, in a much more myself, like myself now, 15 years later than I was, let's say, a month later or six months later or a year later. You know, um, when I first got home, I thought, OK, you know, I'm good. Let's go right back to life. Let's, you know, have these two busy careers with traveling and three small children. And then about a month in, I was just I couldn't do it. I could not keep all the balls in the air. I couldn't, I'd be on a conference call. I couldn't remember what people said. I'd start typing an email and I'd forget my train of thought. I, you know, 
should be so happy to be alive, but I just felt so sad. And, you know, one of the challenges I'll say for me, I can't speak for all the passengers, but, you know, it was the good news story of the year. People, it was so cool, so exciting. It was so miraculous. People were like, wow, wasn't that amazing? You're like, yeah, but it was also really scary. And it was, it was traumatic. I know that word gets used a lot, but it was, it was traumatic and it was scary. So all of a sudden I became this person that was driving down the interstate, like, oh no, that semi is going to come over and they're going to crash into my car and we're all going to die. Or I wouldn't put something on my calendar for two weeks later because I'm probably not going to live two more weeks, you know? So the, the, the fragileness of life became I became hyper focused or we we have a boat our kids water ski behind the boat they'd fall I'm like get back get them because there's gonna boat comes gonna knock you know it's gonna kill them you know, I mean I just became very very aware yeah. of how fragile life is and how quickly it can change now time has helped that neurosis if you want to call it but I, I still lack a little bit of the moxie confidence that I had. And, and that's okay. Cause I think it makes me appreciate and be a little, you know, just being more appreciative for the, the time that um, I have had. Val, you, uh, you use the word traumatic. Uh, obviously that's what um, I guess everybody on that plane would say they experienced a traumatic experience, but you also said um, like over time or immediately after you had times where you felt so sad. What was that about? I, I think that's just one of the symptoms of PTSD. You know, as I went through my therapy, I learned that a lot of times it doesn't present immediately. It's, you know, a month, six weeks, two months after just when the, kind of the shock wears off. Uh, I don't want to speak for Jim. Probably it was real easy for to get on that plane that night because he was just still in shock. We were all still in shock. My first flight was five days later. That wasn't as hard as the flights three months later, six months later. So I just, I... I don't, I don't know. It was just, I was just in shock. I mean, I just, it just took, it just takes, it just takes time. Um, I, one of the, I've spoken to audiences over the years about this experience and you going back to like, why was I there? Why were we there? When I have, when I've had like a six foot three Marine veteran come up to me with tears in his eyes and say, thank you for talking about PTSD. Thank you for putting it out front. That's probably one of my moments that I was like, maybe that's why I was there. Because um, I think better now, I don't mean to go off on a tangent, but, or get on a soapbox. Um, But I think, I think even now, more than 15 years ago, we talk more about mental health than, than we did. And just, I I tell people, you know, I looked just fine on the outside when I walked off that plane, aside from being in soaking wet clothes. No, nothing was broken. I wasn't bruised. I didn't walk with a limp. I mean, when my husband looked at me, I looked like the same old valley, but I was not the same old valley. And honestly, it took a little while for us, even as a couple, to to you know figure out the the new me, if you will. And I hope in some ways I'm a better version of myself. In some ways, I'm not as good a version of myself as before I boarded that flight. I really appreciate your your honesty and your transparency because when the unthinkable happens when the thing that is almost impossible actually happens to you that fear is real and fear is a powerful thing and i can't imagine not being afraid after going through something like that when people say oh what are the chances you can say actually (laughs) if it's less than one percent if it happens to you it's everything it's a hundred percent right and living then your life Knowing that 
your greatest fear could actually happen is crippling in moments. How do you get past that? Jim, did you feel the same way at all? Well, this is a this is a maybe a different tangent or not for where you all thought the conversation would go, but I have found this fascinating, yes, because of this. Afterward, after the crash, like Valley, I went to a number of groups that wanted to hear this story and they wanted to hear someone talk about it. So I had done a fair amount of public speaking at work. So I went on the rubber chicken circuit of civitans and Qantas's and professional groups and all that stuff. And I talked to a number, number, number of groups. And every time uh, somewhere in this talk, which was just conversational like we're doing now, but I had a few props, right? People would start crying. And I thought, man, I mean, I know I'm a bad presenter, but this is painful. And there would just be these people sitting there in these very small, intimate groups, you know, and they would just be crying. And then afterward, they would come up and they, similar to what Valley described, and say things like, thank you. And I've always been so fearful this was going to happen to me, this this total consuming fear of flying. So what you talked about earlier, Amy, about fear is this incredibly powerful ruling emotion in our lives about I fear these things and I've had these things happen to me and this isn't it. The whole experience of just retelling that story to people seems to have unlocked their own feelings of the things that they fear and been able to give them a little bit of maybe not comfort, but courage that they can survive whatever moment they are in now. It's just been a fascinating, that period of time was fascinating to me. And to Valley's point, it probably helped me too, unknowingly so, kind of process those emotions in my subconscious mind, you know, just work through all of that by contributing and, and being with other people and talking about the topic. Well, making people feel not alone, knowing that that other people also can talk about their fears and face them and acknowledge them is a, is a huge gift that you've given so many people. We're going to talk more with Valley and Jim when we come back. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? 
so are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Kate Hudson. And I'm Oliver Hudson. And at last I checked, we're siblings. And this is sibling revelry. We're full blood siblings, the only full blood siblings. In our family. Well, not in the world. I mean, no, in the whole in the- world. That's just it. Like no one. Um, anyway, we're back with season four. I can't believe it's been yes, four I'm seasons. Yes, I'm so excited. Yeah. Bigger and better than ever. You might be asking yourself, what is sibling revelry? Yeah. Well, we just made it up. There is no sibling revelry. It's reveling in your sibling. And it's fun because we've decided to open it up, you know, to really like all kinds of different siblings. And it's going to be. A, an awesome season. So listen to Sibling Revelry on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. We're talking to Jim Whitaker and Valley Collins, two of the survivors of the miracle on the Hudson. And we are looking back, not only what happened 15 years ago, but, but what, that has led them to today and who they are today because a near-death experience, I mean, it affects people differently. I, I want to ask you, Valley, would you give the experience back if you could? I would. I would if, if I had my choice, I would not board that plane wow. again. I'm so thankful for what I've learned, what I've taken from it, the gift of perspective and gratitude, but I guess maybe giving me that sense of fear that I'd never had before, I kind of enjoyed uh, the 37 years before just not really being not really being scared of many things yeah. other than snakes. I love it. You'd give and, it back. How about you, Jim? No, I I would I would relive it um, again. I, I had the benefit of which is even weirder and not today's talk, but I was on another aircraft that happened to catch on fire. So I was an I was a pro by the time this rolled around in the fact that it is scary to go in the river. But if you're in a small aircraft and there are only two of you on it and it catches on fire, now that is a sense of emergency. <laughs> Jim, you need to take some road trips, brother. You got <laughs> you to stop flying, man. <laughs> or if I'm on a plane that you're on, I'm getting off. <laughs> oh, my God, Jim. Yeah. Well, this is so funny because I was on one struck by lightning with an emergency landing before the Hudson. And then the December of 2009, the same year, I was on one that lost nose steering. So we had to have the full emergency cabin preparedness, emergency vehicles lined on the runway. I mean, some people are like, well, what are the chances? I'm kind of like, well, I've kind of been in three incidences. You know what I mean? It's just so funny that we're both on here at the same time. You know, my mom's like, well, you're in this country. Yeah. And, and, 
And for the record, just to make it clear, you all still happily and willingly board planes. Yes. In fact, you just got off one recently. I don't know about happily. I do it (laughs) because I want to go where I want to go. I don't love it. I'm never going to love it like I did before when I was just, you know, naive. Um, But it is the safest way to travel. I do tell people the most dangerous part of an airplane trip is the driving your car to the airport. You know, if we all heard about every fatal car wreck in our country every day, none of us would get in our car. It's just with plane crashes, when something happens, it's a lot of people at once and everybody hears about every one of them. Yeah, so. Apparently, it's the safest way to travel unless your name is Jim Whitaker or Valley Collins. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask y'all, did the uh, Tom Hanks movie get it right? You know, the Tom Hanks movie, which I loved the movie, Sully, Tom Hanks could read the phone book and I would be entertained. Yep. So I thought the movie was great. It's definitely from Sullenberger's perspective. I don't think they got the evacuation scene in the movie right, um, personally. I mean, in the movie, and I've not seen the movie in a lot of years, but I remember that there's they're like, here, have a blanket. It's cold out there, like the flight attendant said. And it just it just wasn't that way. It was it was chaotic. It was a lot of water. It was a lot of, I mean, you know how chaotic it is trying to get off the plane when you're parked at the gate. So, you know, you can imagine. So that's the only part of the movie if I was going to take issue with. But it doesn't upset me. I, I thought it was a great, I thought it was a great film. What about you, Jim? Right. It was, a, it was definitely a, a Hollywood version of a feel-good moment, for sure. And one takes liberties when you're making a Hollywood movie. There were other movies, as you all may remember, the docudrama and the documentary class. There have been several other ones made. But the, the Hollywood version... I think was more centered on entertainment because Valley is exactly right. As we were talking about earlier, there's just no way to cap one. It wouldn't be entertainment. It'd be a horror show. And then two, there's just <laughs> no way to capture how raw and nasty all of that was at the time that it was occurring before everyone was off the airplane and on water taxis. And the event was kind of passed, right? That first, that period of time in there in the crash sequence and the rescue that was pretty ugly, right? I can't. E- I ugly. cannot even imagine. My scariest moment in the whole whole event was after we landed, and I went to the galley, and there was a hole, and the, the APU fell off the tail of the plane, and you, you know we couldn't get out the back exits, and the water was rushing in to about my shoulder level, and thinking I was going to drown. That was really my scariest moment. Was just being in that galley with that cold water. And realizing we're not getting out the back and people are in front of me still trying to come to the back, you know, and I'm thinking this this gentleman's going to mow me over, you know, trying to get people turned around to move towards the wings. That was really, for me, my scariest moment. Yeah, just hearing you describe that, you just get chills from head to toe. That is just worst case scenario, thinking you're trapped in this plane and the water's rushing in. I'm curious, 15 years has passed. Has there been a day where you haven't thought about it valley oh sure yeah there have been plenty of days where i have not where i have not thought about it especially like i said time helps you know in the first year or two years no there probably wasn't a day i didn't think about it but as time has gone on but if i do catch myself in a moment of you know kind of sweating the small stuff or getting annoyed because you know my boys left all their underwear all over the floor or something you know (laughs) we'll be like all right i'm still the mom that's here that gets to pick up the dirty underwear (laughs) and that's what life's about is the real stuff and i'm just happy i've been here to enjoy the real stuff but i don't think about it every day you know jim Jim, speaking on the real stuff 
why does it take, um, you know, speak to people out there. We've all known people in our lives, and you all are two examples as well. They go through something traumatic, and then they make a change in their life. People have something, uh, they hit rock bottom, and they make a change in their life. Something has to happen. Can you speak to Jim, to, to, to people, and I, they all have their own experiences, of course. But how would you encourage people to not wait for that moment? Don't wait until you have a near-death experience. Don't wait until you hit rock bottom. Today is a day you can start to appreciate more and love more and be kinder and do what Valley says, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. What what would be your words of encouragement for folks to not have to have a plane crash, a literal plane crash before they make changes? Man, I'll take an easier question for 100. <laughs> Glad you gave that's it to a, the smart guy. That's a, that is a heavy one. Um, I, I don't know that I know the, the right answer, but what you just described uh, resonates with me, too, at a personal level, because that bouncing on the bottom happens for a lot of us, whether you have problems with substance abuse or mental illness or whatever those things are there. The bouncing on the bottom is often the path that many of us have to go through because you don't know which way is up until you found the bottom. Mm -hmm. So to expect someone or to hope for someone or to desire for someone to be able to be self-aware enough to know that, Hey man, this is not working. This is not the best you perhaps that is such a giant decision that I find that most people don't make that decision because it requires so much courage and it's going to be painful, most likely. So the continuation of doing nothing is usually easier than doing something. And that's why that bouncing off the bottom seems to work for some folks I have found in my life at least. So that is a really, really tough question. But back to being able to talk to folks is I have found it incredibly rewarding to be talking to others who have their own set of life problems, and they at least can get uh, some type of positive reflection from the fact that, oh, well, wow, that happened to you, and here you still are, and you seem to be marginally okay. <laughs> Maybe my circumstance isn't so bad. Yeah. Maybe I could make better choices. Maybe I will choose to do, 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 do. That's been an incredibly powerful experience for me. I love that. Do you all do anything special to honor this day, Valley? Not really. I mean, on the like the one year anniversary, the five year anniversary, the 10 year anniversary, I went I went to those events. It's always it's it's amazing to me how many of my friends and family I'll get more text messages, emails on this day than I will on my birthday. Um, It's kind of it's kind of crazy. So I always acknowledge it. Do I have a specific tradition? No, I just keep living that day, whatever it brings. I mean, in fact, this year on the 15th anniversary, one of the changes I made in, not really a change I made in my life, but I, I did quit working full time um, a few a few months after the experience, went part time and then quit working altogether just to raise my family. But I started to participate more in nonprofits and trying to help other people. Because I do think when you're struggling yourself, what makes you feel better than to try to help somebody else who's less fortunate than you are? And so I am um, the chair of a nonprofit that works with malnourished babies in Uganda. And our um, this on today today is our um, board strategic planning retreat. So I'm with some people that are very like minded with me with helping those that are less fortunate. So I'm going to market today, trying to, in some small small way, help someone that um, is a whole lot worse off than I am. 
Jim, you mark the day as well? Uh, my answer is much more practical than Valley's, which is one of the many reasons why I'm so fond of her. But I'm going to the airport on Monday because that's where I belong. You, you, you're, you're flying on the anniversary day. Yeah. D- d- uh, Valley, have you done that at all? Flown on the anniversary day in any of the past 15 years? Yes, I have flown on the anniversary date. I wow. did after one of our, um, I did, I have flown on the anniversary date. Yes, okay. I have. I wasn't expect. I expected from defective Jim, but I wasn't expecting <laughs> you, Valley. I think to- I've only done it one time. I think I've only done nothing else. We're taking a bus to the retreat. There so. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim, Valley, thank you so much for joining us. It has been incredible to be able to talk to y'all about what you went through how far you've come and you have a long, beautiful life to look forward to. And, and thanks for inspiring us along the way. I, I appreciate how real you kept it. Um, how down to earth you are. You're not trying to make it be anything more than what it is. And, and the lessons you learned along the way, we, we appreciate it. And uh, we, we took notes and, and thank you all. And uh, I don't know, do you, do you say happy anniversary on an anniversary like this? I don't know. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. yeah. So happy anniversary. It's our golden anniversary, 15 years on the 15th. So uh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, happy anniversary, y'all. And thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. All the best. Thank you so much. Jim. Everybody. <laughs> they're saying bye to each other there. Uh, hey, folks, you can, uh, of course, continue to follow the show here uh, on Instagram at Amy and TJ Podcast. Um, that was a great one. It's great to talk to folks like that who have that type of perspective and can give us all a little bit. I'm still fascinated. I can imagine her husband, the text, my plane is crashing. She says she sent him that message as they were going out. She had three minutes to do it, I guess. I can imagine getting that type of message from you. Uh, I hope to never send one like that, TJ. Mm, yeah. That'll be on my list of goals, things not to do. Put a sweet emoji next to it, maybe. <laughs> It'll lighten it. <laughs> Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.